did certainly enjoy our time away last weekend. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware of why we were away, I mean, it was the weekend of the royal wedding, and, and we just couldn't handle the emotional burden of preparing for sermon <laughs> at the same time as watching all of that. But uh, no, in actuality, we had a great time going up to the Billy Graham Training Center, known as The Cove, uh, which is up in Asheboro, North Carolina. So we got to enjoy it. Asheville, North Carolina. I always get those two crossed up. Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, we had a great time with other pastors and their wives just spending the, the weekend kind of unwinding and, and uh, getting to, to learn a little bit more about marriage and, and some ways that we can strengthen one another in what we do in our ministry work. So thankful to Mark Smith and his work here. Mark, you've done well, brother. I really appreciate you filling in in our absence. It's, it's good to know that we've got you and a couple of other guys that I think could do a great job of uh, filling in and, and giving us a, a chance to relax. I know, I know that things are taken well care of when we are away, so I'm very thankful for that. Uh, I heard of a lady who, in a certain church, one, one day she decided that she was really just going to try to go above and beyond in this area of hospitality. And so she, she planned a dinner, and she invited her pastor and she invited the deacons of her church, which she was a part of, and, as well as their spouses. So she can imagine this was quite an affair. She, was, she spent a good bit of the day just rallying about, running from you know, the refrigerator to the pantry to the stove and then back again. And meanwhile, her six-year-old daughter was watching her there from the living room as she's going about in all this hustle and bustle, kind of keeping up with what was going on for the day. And yet things went along as planned, and she planned everything just just perfectly the meal just turned out to be exquisite there were four courses and everything was just delightfully set up as they gathered around the table there to share in the meal for the night the the lady just felt like she had done so many good things and she really had it all together and so she thought well let's just add one little piece of of something to show off in the midst of this experience and and so her six-year-old daughter was there at the table and then she said sweetie why don't you offer the blessing for us? Well, the six-year-old daughter had not done a lot of praying in the past, so she said to her mother, but Mommy, I, I don't know what to say. Well, this is, this is where the lady thought well, she would really have a chance to shine forth some of the things she'd been pouring into her daughter. So she said, well, well just pray what Mommy would pray. <laughs> and so the, the little girl bowed her head, and she said, Lord, why did I invite all these people to dinner? Sometimes discipling young ones can be that way, can it? Sometimes we expect that our little ones are going to be picking up all the positive things from our lives when the reality is they reflect a kind of wider range of our character. They, they seem to be images of us in what they do. And the problem that we tend to find sometimes is that the character that we see in them is not always the character that we desire to see in them. Well, today we're going to be focusing on our Heavenly Father and how He has given us a perfect example of His character, and He wants us to observe and replicate that perfect example. That example, my friends, is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And when we come to Christ, we are, in a sense, spiritual babes. But God wants to grow us in spiritual maturity. He he wants to advance us to the next stage. He wants to form us into something that is new. And that's what we're after in this second emphasis on our new vision for new vision. 
For those of you who are new here today or maybe you've missed a couple of, of critical Sundays, let me just explain for you what that new vision is at a high level. So we're trying to lay out kind of a game plan, a map for us as a congregation to give certain emphases to make sure that we have a healthy, balanced diet of church life. And so in thinking through how we could put together this vision, we spent a lot of time studying the scriptures, but we also tried to take some aspects of what's local to this area and apply that in this vision so that it would be something that would be kind of personal to who we are. And in that process, we, we talked about how here in this area, we have such a rich resource of this Triassic shell, this red clay, and that clay has been used by so many individuals who had this kind of new vision for what that clay could become. The closest examples to us for that would be the Pine Hall Brick Company, as individuals have had a vision for that red clay and how it could be used for something that would be productive. And they've taken that clay, they've molded it into something that would be useful, and then they have used that clay in the building of so many of the buildings that are around in the area where we live here now. Another example of that would be where my son and I went on Friday night, the Daytona of Dirt, 311 Motor Speedway, where someone, again, had a new vision for what this nasty old clay could become if they just spun it around in a circle and, you know, got a bunch of good old boys to gather around and, and root for the wrecks and fights and that sort of thing. But yeah, but clay is such a rich resource here in this area where we live, in this Triassic Basin of the Dan River. And so in putting those two things together, we came up with this new vision for a new vision, which really ties into what is such a rich biblical imagery when it comes to clay. Even in the beginning of scriptures, we're going to see here in a little bit, we see that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the earth, breathed in him to the breath of life. Then Job talks about how you formed me out of the clay. Would you return me to dust again? We, we see this great analysis that we're going to look at in our sermon here today as well, where, where God sends his prophet Jeremiah to go to the potter's house and see how the potter is working on the clay. And as he's working there on the clay, the clay is spoiled in his hands, and he makes it into a new vessel. And there's this very rich imagery that ties humanity to the clay. And in that imagery is where we've put together this new vision for new vision, this metric this this map to really guide us along the way that we think god is calling us as a flock to move and so that the the entirety of the vision is that we desire that through this fellowship christ would cause multitudes to be found formed fired filled and flowing which is what these banners are communicating here the last time we were here together we talked about this found aspect of our mission how we desire that individuals would be welcome to encounter God here in this place, that we would have individuals moving from, I don't know if you can see this, from the community to the crowd. We want individuals who are gathered here encountering God and exalting his name as we gather in this place. But, but today we're going to move along to the next stage of that. And you can see the pottery analogy, right? If a potter is going to begin to work with some vessel, first he has to have clay to do that. And so he must go and find the clay. Then he takes the clay over to his wheel where he begins to form the clay into this vessel that he's going to use. And we desire the individuals to be formed into a new vessel by God's transforming power. And then he must fire this vessel. He must put it in the kiln so that it will actually become a solid vessel committed and ready for his purposes. Then he has a, a, a next step in which he will fill that vessel. That vessel is now 
prepared to be used. So we talk about being filled with truth and purpose for God's glory. And then the final step of that and the ultimate objective that we have for anyone that would be engaged in this place would be that we would not just be containers filling up ourselves with God's goodness, but that we would be instruments in God's hands, flowing his grace and his riches into the lives of others. And so that's the new vision for new vision that we're working our way through here. And today, as I mentioned, we're going to be focusing specifically on this state of being formed. Now, for so many churches, they seem to go to this point of finding individuals. That is, people come through the doors, people are gathered for the worship services, and they are content to say that that is enough. But I want us to know, my friends, that this is not enough for us. Our desire is not to develop a great social club. Our desire is not to build up numbers for numbers' sake alone. That can be a very prideful sort of temptation for so many churches. We desire to see individuals growing in spiritual maturity. We desire to see individuals who are progressing to the next level in their walk with Christ. And so I just want you to know that there's so much more that Christ has to offer for us. And so we're pressing on to that next objective that we will now pursue for everyone who gathers here in this place. We don't just want you in the crowd. We want you changed by God's transforming power. God has commissioned his church with the task of joining on his mission to make disciples of all the nations. And a disciple, as we talked about a couple of weeks back, is just someone who is who has aligned themselves under a discipline. And that discipline would be following the Lord Jesus. And so if we're going to fulfill our objective from our master, then we must help one another to follow Jesus. And it ought to be abundantly clear as we gather in this place that we desire for individuals to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so again, let me say that the second objective is this new vision for new vision that we're focusing on today is this. We desire that through this fellowship, Christ would cause multitudes to be formed into a new vessel by God's transforming power. Now, Lord willing, next Sunday we'll be picking up with our next focus on this formed objective. And there we're going to take a look, a little closer look at maybe the ways that God causes this transformation to take place, as well as some of the tools that God makes available to us. Now, I originally planned to get all of this into one message today, but I found out that uh, some of you guys like to eat lunch, and so we've uh, broken that into two messages. Now, I mentioned to Jerry Martin that I was going to break it into two messages this morning. He said that we should do the second half of the message today. That way, you would all be interested to come back and try and figure out what on earth is going on with the first half next week, but I don't think I'm going to take that approach. But for today, I just want to lay a foundation for why we must foster a culture where the gospel can be applied to individual lives so that we see growing Christians. And I hope that this, this morning you'll see, you'll, you'll catch an understanding for why we must fix our eyes on Jesus and why we must align our lives to his character. Our overall mission, as we've seen it in the Great Commission, is to multiply God's glory on the earth. And just a reminder, God's glory is the weight of who he is. It's a measurement term. It's, it, it, it describes the beauty and the radiance of all that God is and all the works that he has done. So when we talk about multiplying God's glory, 
We're talking about increasing the awareness of all that he is and all that he does, both within ourselves and within those who come to encounter us. And the way we do this at this form stage of our new vision together is this. We will multiply God's glory on the earth by multiplying models of his character. Let me say that again. We will multiply God's glory on the earth by multiplying models of his character. Last week we talked about how, or two weeks ago, we talked about how we multiply God's glory on the earth by multiplying magnifiers of his name. But today we're going to be talking about models of his character. And the first thing I want you to see we're going to be doing more of a, of, of a loose sort of study. Most of you know that I tend to dig deep into scriptures, but today we're going to be doing a little more of a topical sort of approach just to kind of get an idea, a foundation for why it is that God wants us to be formed. The first thing we're going to see is this. You were made to model God's character. You were made to model God's character. Did you, did you realize that? This is the reason, the very reason, the essence of why God created us. He wants each of us to model his character here on the earth. And this is a strong and pervasive theme throughout the Bible. Sometimes we miss that, though. So let me show you some biblical evidence of this truth. Now, God is the great potter who made us, as I've already alluded to. He's the one who formed mankind out of the dust of the ground. He gave us the shape and designed us according to his purposes. That's what we find in Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Then the Lord God, here's that word, formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a life-giving or a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden and there he placed the man whom he had, there's the word again, formed. So God is the one who originally formed mankind. He's the master designer. And if we want to know the chief reason why we were made, then we need to look to the master and the maker. And of all that God created, the crown of his creation was humanity. We know that because the Bible says that only mankind was created in the image of God. That's what we find in Genesis chapter 1, verses 22, or 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image us being the triune God. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. There's that word again. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, sometimes you might hear someone say to the parent of a child, That child is a spitting image of you, right? And by that, they usually mean like that child either looks like you in some way, they got some physical characteristics that look like you, or maybe even that child acts like you. When I see you respond to certain situations or when I see that child respond to certain situations, I expect that child to respond the same way that you would. And so sometimes this is what we mean when we talk about being a spitting image of someone else. And God has formed mankind in his image. We have been formed to reflect his character to the world that is around us. And you keep hearing me insist that our mission is to multiply God's glory on the earth. Well, these themes of glory and of image are pretty thickly intertwined in Scripture. When we reflect God's character as his images, we shine forth 
who he is and the weight of all that he is. And so when we are images of God, we reflect his character, we model his character, we glorify him in the process. In Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7, this is what the Lord says. He says, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, and whom I have, here's this essence of creation, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Why did God create mankind? He created us for his glory. Every one of us has been formed by our maker with one singular purpose, that we would glorify him by delighting in his excellent gifts and reflecting him in our own lives. Or to state that another way, the more we resemble God, the more we honor him. He says again, the more we resemble God, the more we honor him. And good parents know what that's like, right? I mean, if I'm a good parent, I want my child to be walking in my footsteps. I want to be showing my child the paths of righteousness. I want to see my child following behind me in obedience. And that's certainly what God desires as we glorify him, that we would walk in his footsteps, that we exemplify his character to the world that is around us. You were made to model God's character. But there's a problem, which takes us to the next point I want to emphasize. You have been spoiled, all right? You've been spoiled. I want you to look at your neighbors to the left and to the right and just now say to one another, you are spoiled, all right? It's the truth. We've all been spoiled, okay? None of us is reflecting God's glory as we ought to be. Some of you really enjoyed that exercise a little more than you should have. And there's, there's a reason for this. There's a reason why we're spoiled. There's a reason why we're not reflecting God's glory the way we ought to be. God's image in us has been tarnished by the fall of mankind. In Romans chapter 1, God's word says that men suppress the truth in unrighteousness. How so? Verses 22 and 23, the apostle Paul has this to say, professing to be wise, they became fools. And listen to this terrible exchange that takes place. And exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And so the result is that, as God's word shows us in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were made to be glorifiers of God, but, but we find ourselves not doing that thing. We were made to reflect all that he is in this world, but we're fallen. We've fallen short of that purpose. We've all exchanged the perfect image and the supreme satisfaction that God can give us for temporal pursuits that just leave us hungry over and over and over again. We worship the thing which is created rather than the creator. We seek its glory rather than his Time and time again, we find ourselves simply not satisfied as we are worshiping the things that are apart from Him. And here's the sad state of affairs in our lives. It's the outcome of the fall of mankind. We are all spoiled. We've all failed to reflect God. We're no better than if we were still in the dust of the ground, 
as Adam was before he was made. You see, Adam was the first one to buy into this idea that something that was created could provide something greater than what the Creator could provide. He chose to believe this serpent's lie that he would find joy and greater satisfaction in the fact that he would be like God if he ate of that forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as God pronounces this curse to Adam, we find an interesting truth in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. So listen to God's pronouncement of this curse. Then to Adam, he, God, said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it, from the ground, you were taken, for you are from dust, and to dust you shall return. You see, Adam was dust when he began. And, and though he was created in God's image and given the breath of life, God shows that apart from him is nothing more than dust, again, here in verse 19. And that's true for all of us. We're all spoiled in our refusal to reflect God's image and to illustrate God's glory with our own lives such that we're no better than the dirt of the ground from which mankind was taken. We are all, by nature, spoiled clay. Yes, you have been spoiled, but there's good news in the midst of all this. Next point is that God can make you new. God can make you new. Now look to your neighbors on either side, and this time say, God can make you new. All right. That's a lesson that Jeremiah, who was one of God's prophets, needed to learn. And so we read about this account in Jeremiah chapter 18. Starting verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. But problem arises, verse 4, but the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Something fresh, something new, something that is not spoiled. Verse 5, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as the potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. O house of Israel. Here God shows his prophet through this potter what he can do with spoiled clay. He can take that worthless clay and make it into something that is new. He can take a disobedient nation and he can make it into a chosen vessel. And I want to tell you, my friends, that he can take a fallen man and make him into something new. Yes, my friends, you are spoiled. Yes, you have missed God's intended design. Yes, you're no better than the dust of the earth that you were formed out of, but I have good news that God can take a spoiled clay and make it into a new vessel that is pleasing to Him. Do you believe this, my friends? 
Do you believe that God can take something that is spoiled and make it into something that is new and useful and glorious in His sight by His transforming power? I have more good news to share, my friends. Not only can God make you new, not only can God transform you from worthless clay into a useful vessel that reflects His glory and enjoys His blessings as we were all intended to do from the very dawn of creation, The good news is that God delights to do this. God yearns to do this in our lives. God yearns to transform us in this way, to make us into something new, to restore that which is broken, to take this worthless dust of the earth and to make it into something that can be used for His glory. God delights to do this sort of thing. He yearns to do it. He's given his prized possession, his only son, to die so that this could happen in your life. And so, not only can God make you new, but out of a great love for you, God has designed a rescue plan through which he will make you new if you will yield your life to him. With unfathomable grace, born out of the purest sort of love that we could ever imagine, we find that God makes you new through the gospel. We must know that the gospel, this good news of what Jesus has done and is doing for those who yield their lives to his control, is what makes the difference of transformation in us. For God is making all things new in Christ. When we come to the near the end of the Bible, we find in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, that he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new and he's doing it my friends that my friends means that you have the opportunity to be made new if you will yield your life to the potter's control he will transform you he will make you into what you were created to be he will enable you to reflect god's glory in a life that is modeled after him what paul wrote to the colossians church is really interesting when we think about this tie of the image that we were created to bear and what it is that we need to be reflecting in our own lives. Here's, Paul writes that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's what we read in Colossians 1.15. What was it that we were created to bear again? God's image. What is Jesus called here? He's called the image of the invisible God. How can we recover from the spoiling effects of the fall when we need to be transformed? into true image bearers where do we find that truest of all image bearers it is here it is christ he is the one who bears that image he is the image of the invisible god and so our path to restoration that we are designed now to follow is this we need to become models of christ's character in some of the sweetest words in all of scripture paul writes in second corinthians two fifteen. He, that is God the Father, made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you hear that exchange? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become, out of our deplorable state, the righteousness of God in him. It's the greatest exchange of all time, my friends. Jesus came and lived the life that we should have lived. 
Jesus came and died the death that we should have died. And in exchange for that, he grants to us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That we might be able to walk holy and blameless and right in his sight. This is what Christ enables us to do through the power of the gospel. We get a clean slate. When we entrust our lives to Christ, God says, you are right with me. You're no longer spoiled. And you can now be all that you were created to be. Now you are free to reflect my image and to display my glory. If you are in Christ, God has started you on this path with a particular destination in mind. The roadmap to your life now has a destination that God has planted on it, which he is aiming your life towards. How do we know that? Listen to Romans 8, 29. Those whom he foreknew, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that we would, he would be the firstborn of many brethren. You see, every Christian has this destination that's been established for him or her in his or her spiritual growth. And that destination is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And we as a church need to facilitate a culture where everyone is expected and enabled to be formed into Christ's likeness. In the potter's hands, formed for his will, filled with his glory. And I just want to tell you, my friends, we've got to get out of the prideful sort of mentality that just wants to grow who we are. We need more than just warm bodies in seats. I went to a discipleship conference not long ago where the pastor of the conference was describing what he had spoken to his church early in his days of ministry. And what he essentially told his flock was that if you're just here and you don't have any desire to get plugged in, you don't have any desire to do something other than gathering together on Sunday mornings, then we don't need you here which is a pretty harsh thing to say, right? He said, we need your seat. He said, we, we need individuals who will come and who are ready to be prepared, ready to be molded for Christ's work. And I'm not ready to drive anyone away for that purpose, but I think it's a very stark sort of thing to make us think through. What is it that we as a body are striving to be doing? Are we really trying to be used in the potter's hands for his glory? My hope is that we will foster a sort of environment where that becomes an ambition for everyone who's involved. I'm so thankful for those who work with our kids' ministry. As Barbara was up here talking earlier about the investment and the time that's taken there, what a great stage of formation in the lives of others. And I, I don't know about in this body because I haven't done a lot of recruiting for children's ministry in this body, but I was a nominating committee chairman at another church before coming to this place and so it was my job to go out and pester individuals once a year to say, will you come and serve in this ministry? And there are a lot of people who would much rather come and sit in a service and just kind of enjoy all that that means as opposed to being plugged into children's ministry or being plugged into caring for our nursery or thinking about times with youth. There are so many individuals who would much rather just say, well, either I've served my time or, or really I just don't think that I'm prepared for that sort of thing. I really need nourishment. I need encouragement. I need, we're, we're being filled with these things for a purpose, my friends. 
We're being filled so that we can distribute these things to others. We want to be flowing God's riches into the lives of others. And that's one of the great avenues for that sort of thing to happen. And so I would hope that we would have more and more folks who would desire to see God's character implanted in the lives of our young disciples because of their investment in this work. But how can we facilitate growth into Christian maturity? We must keep the gospel at the center of everything that we do. We must make much of Jesus. Apart from him, lasting transformation cannot and will not happen. As author Don Whitney has written, a weak grasp of the gospel is a hindrance to holiness. Or to put it positively, those who know the gospel best are those most likely to become closest to Christ and most like Christ. For it is the, in the gospel that we understand and see Christ in his glory most clearly. And the better we understand and feast our souls on the gospel of Christ, the more intimate with and like Jesus we become. So in summary, God wants you to be a model of his character. And this second objective of our new vision for new vision is in place because we want to ensure that we are fostering environments in which individuals and their lives are growing more and more and more like Christ our Lord. Charles Wesley captured the heart of being molded into a model of Christ's character with a poem that he once wrote. Here's what that great theologian and preacher had to say. Oh, for a heart to praise God. A heart from sin set free. A heart that always fills thy blood so freshly shed for me. A heart resigned, submissive, meek, my great Redeemer's throne, where only Christ is heard to speak, where Jesus reigns alone. A humble, lowly, contrite heart, believing true and clean, where neither life nor death can part from Christ who dwells within. A heart in every thought renewed, and full of love divine, perfect and right and pure and good, a copy, Lord, of thine. When we look at this bunch of kids who gathered up here this morning, many of you scanned that bunch, right? I don't know about you, but I, I couldn't do the hand motions because I was worried I would injure my wife. But, and I tried to do some of those. My, my, my daughter and I went up one day, and uh, we put the video on, and I tried to do the fruits of the Spirit. So I knew not to try that today, okay? It was a, not a positive experience. But when you look at a group like that, that was gathered up here this morning, when, when we look through eyes of, of this body and this fellowship, do we look at a bunch of kids with, with, you know, some of them have got quirks and difficult backgrounds, and do we say, you know, that's a mixed bunch. There are going to be some troublemakers in that group when they grow up. You know, there's going to be some that are really going to go down a right path, but maybe some that go down a wrong path. Or, or do we see the potential of what God can do in all of these kids if they will be yielded to his hands? Are we as a body with all hands on deck striving to show everyone we encounter how Christ makes a lasting difference through the power of the gospel? Or, or how are we caring for our youth-age students who are entering into a most critical time of their lives when so many individuals walk away from the church? Are, are we giving appropriate attention to conveying the essentials of the Christian faith to them, to our children, to everyone who gathers here? 
Do we see potential for being formed into the image of Christ for that two-thirds of our neighbors that we talked about last time I was here in this part of our state that caused this part of our state to be identified as a pocket of lostness? Do we see God's potential to form individuals like that? These are the sorts of questions that we need to be asking ourselves. And so I say, look to the chairs around you. Look to your neighbors. It's okay. Go ahead. Look around a little bit. What do you see? Do, do you see any folks that you're not expecting to grow more like Jesus? Now, now hold your hand in front of your face like this and just, just imagine that that's a mirror. What about now? Do you, do you see anyone now that you don't expect to be growing more like Christ a month or so from now? If you're not expecting and desiring to be more like Jesus, then I want to tell you, my friends, you probably will not be. You're probably going to make what you're aiming for, which is nothing, right? And if that's the common heart of this body, then we have a problem. This is a gospel issue for us. If we don't see that Jesus wants to form us, or if we don't yield our lives to the potter's hands so that he can do a transforming work in our lives, then we're missing out on the present power of the gospel for us. So I ask you, friends, do you want to be formed more into the image of Christ? Do you want to grow more like Jesus? Do you long to know more about him? Do you long to be transformed by his grace? He can do all of these things. He has all the power, all the authority. The gospel is still as powerful as you need it to be, my friends, in Christ. But we must give our lives into the potter's hands. And we must find our greatest satisfaction in him. I just want to tell you, my friends, that he gives satisfaction that lasts. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That is, when, when my delight is most maximized in him, my pleasure will be most maximized because he will richly grant the one who delights himself in the Lord. So, so the key question each of us must answer is this. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are your rough characteristics being shaped away by God's transforming hands? Are you being formed into the likeness of Christ? Do you find yourself increasingly hating sin and loving righteousness as Jesus does? Are you growing in humility? Are you giving more and more of yourself to others? And I don't, I don't know about you, but, but I need to be transparent here because I know that for me personally, in my studies this week, as if I thought more about this sort of thing, I've been just a little too content to stay where I'm at for a little too long. And I need a fresh dose of holy desire to grow into the likeness of my Savior who's given all for me. And as I've studied this week, it's just been burning on my heart that I need to be more captivated by the gospel. I need to be more on fire for the Lord who's given all for me. I don't know about you. Maybe that's the heart desire that you would have as well. But some of us need a fresh start. Some of us need to freshly commit ourselves into the potter's hands. 
But I, I praise God, my friends, in this. The steadfast love of God never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and they are new for you this morning, my friends. So how is it with you? Are you in a situation in your life where you see God's hand at work? I don't know about some of you, but th there was a time in my life when I can remember really just being passionate about the gospel, more so than I have been as of late. That, that moment when you really came to realize all that Christ had done in your heart and your life, and it just overwhelmed you. It wowed you. You wanted to be engaged in learning about it. You wanted to be praying to Him. You wanted to be serving for Him. And then sometimes things just get a little stagnant for us. And that's where I found myself. But God's mercies are new every morning, including this morning. Do you need those mercies in your life, my friends? Maybe you need to yield your life into the potter's hands just to say, look, I know I'm a spoiled vessel. I know I've been pursuing all the wrong things and I keep coming up empty. God, would you transform me by the power of your grace to do what only you can do? Or maybe you need to make that fresh commitment to say, Christ, I want to be all about growing into your likeness. I want to be all about finding the best satisfaction that all of this earth has to offer by being in the center of your will, growing according to your plans. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to praise you for mercies which are new each and every day. I want to thank you for a love which never dies. Father, I want to thank you for a grace which can overwhelm the bleakest of situations. And God, I want to thank you that you provide opportunities for us to be transformed. Opportunities for us to enjoy something so much greater than maybe we would pursue on our own apart from your grace. Father, if there are new mercies that we need to cling to today, I just pray for courage for individuals that are gathered here, Lord that they might step out, they might come forward, they might give a testimony, maybe, maybe they would bow their head in a prayer where they are even now to ask you to do what only you could do, to be Lord and Savior and King and Transformer into the fulfillment of all that we were created to be. Lord, whatever way individuals need to respond, I just pray you give courage that each one of us, Lord, may find your mercies fresh and anew today and that we might...